Amen. All right. Let's open our Bibles this morning. Colossians chapter 3, please. Colossians chapter 3. Everybody have your handout for today that you, that you need if you're following along your notes. If you don't, our ushers, they have those. They can give those to you. Amen, amen. Now, why are we doing the whole handout piece? It's because it helps you follow along. Pay attention. Write. Look at it. Write, write, look at it. That's why notes are important. Notes are important. You try to get kids to understand that in school. Uh, and adults understand that in school. That notes are extremely important. Because what notes do, it, it helps you retain more when you write it yourself. Amen. And we've just made it easier through these handouts, just filling the blanks. But I think that's enough to help get you started. You can go home and those of you that, that are at home and you're watching, again, all these resources are available on our church website. If you click on the uh, 40, Days of Banner, 40 Days of Family banner, which is the first banner that comes across on our website, it takes you right to our 40 Days of Family campaign page, and all the resources are there. You click on the Sunday morning outlines, and they're there, Wednesdays, all that kind of stuff. It's there um, for you to follow along with us. Amen? Okay, Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 12 through 14. Let me know when you get there by saying amen. All right, let's all read together. Ready, read. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let's read verse 14 again. Ready, read. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Today I want to talk on the subject family bonding. Family bonding. We're on the subject area of love this morning. God, we thank you today for the opportunity we have to spend this time in your word. I pray for each person that's hearing the word of God, those that are here, those that are online, those who may watch on replay, Father. That every person God has hearing, ears, seeing eyes, and open hearts to receive the word of God. I pray that God's revelation would flow freely in this place today, Father. That, Lord, we're not limited to what's on paper, but, God, your spirit can speak to us in a fresh way. Your spirit can speak to us, each and every one of us, in a unique and an individual way to give us what we need, Father. That, that will help us to make the adjustments in our own personal lives, in our families, so that we can enjoy the life that you've given us to enjoy on this planet. Bless us down the word. Let every hindrance or distraction be removed. And let the word of God flow freely in this place today, we pray in Jesus' name. So be it. Amen. 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 All right, take your seats today. Family bonding. Now, in this four days of family, where we've talked on uh, our first subject area was faith. Right? Those of you that have been following along, we're doing an acronym, or this is an acrostic for uh, family. F-A-M-I-L-Y. And we covered on the first Sunday. Uh, faith. We talked about in Joshua 24, 15, the household of faith. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We talked about how important it is for the household to be in agreement on serving God. Amen? We talked about the next Sunday on the subject area of alignment. Preach, get your house in order. 
Psalm 133 talks about how our good and pleasant is our brethren to dwell together in unity. Verse 1, verse 3 goes on and says, for there the Lord commands a blessing, even life forevermore. So if you want a commanded blessing on your marriage, on your family, on your individual life, you must be in alignment. If you're a single person, you need to align with God. Amen? Praise the Lord. Then we went on the next Sunday, we talked on the subject area of margin. Everybody say margin. We preached on the subject area called living with more than enough. And we looked at John 10.10, 10, Amplified Classic, when Jesus says that I have come that you might have and enjoy life, that you might have an abundance to the full till it overflows. So Jesus came to give us an abundant life, and we're not supposed to be living on this stressful life of just enough or not enough. That's stressful. When you don't know how you're going to eat and feed your family, it's stressful. You don't know how you're going to pay your light bill. Amen. It's stressful. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, I'll tell it. I was, uh, the other day I was um, at home and uh, my wife had noted that the pool uh, was low on water. You know, evaporation, all that kind of stuff. And it was low on water. So I'm sitting there and I'm studying and I start hearing it gurgling. When the pool gets low, you can hear the, the system start gurgling. I'm like, okay, dog, I better fill this with pool back up. And uh, so I go and I get the water holes, put the, put the water holes in there. And so I, I kind of sit where, the, my, where my office is. Uh, I can see it. But I wasn't looking at it. And what happened, I let it, I put in there like 930 that morning. And my wife, what time y'all got home? About 430. And she said, wow, the pool is like, really? Really? She said, I see poop. Oh my God, I left the water running all day. Oh, like, oh my And, uh, I mean, it was full to the point that, like, the water kind of splashed over on the edge. And like, wow. And, uh, but my point about that is, because we have margin, I didn't stress out about that. We laughed about it. Now, I wasn't happy, but I laughed. You don't like seeing money go out the house unnecessarily. But, um, but we were able to laugh about it because we, we, don't, we don't have the stress of uh, not enough. Amen. So that, that's how God wants every one of us to live. If you don't, I was that other day gassing up the car, and, and the, guy, the guy at the same tank but on the other side, he fills up his car. I guess, no, he didn't fill up. He said... He said, man, I put in a quarter tank, and I, it still took $40. I'm like, what kind of, he was driving like a Honda, a little small car. I'm like, what's wrong? You must have a hole in that thing somewhere, baby. $40. Now, I, I understood what he meant because I'm looking at 309 for this gallon of gas. I'm like, praise the Lord. And, uh, and uh, but if, you know, if you don't have margin, you're stressed. So God don't want us stressed. Amen? Go ahead and buy the gas. Go ahead and fill up your tank. Your, your car run better on a full tank. What you do if, you, if you're stressing out about filling the thing back up, don't, don't let it get on E. I'm, I'm time out right here. This is not my message. This, this is on margin. Don't let it get down to E. It's going to cost $60. Don't let it get down there. 
when they get down to a quarter. I mean, three quarters, you may fill it up. If, if, if $15 feel better than $60, wait till, don't, don't let it get down there. Normally, our cars, when they get to a half tank, we fill it right back up. Because I don't like the feeling of, you know, praise God. Margin, margin. Then we talked about identity, identity. Come on, let's get back on subject. Identity. And we used the subject, that was, that was last Sunday, right? Who are you? Who are you? We're John and John chapter uh, 1, 19 through 23 is our subject area. And they asked him, who are you? Well, he said, I'm not the Christ. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No, I'm not him. Well, who are you then? I am the one. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. So notice John knew who he was not, and he knew who he was. And out of his identity came his purpose. We just finished reading all about identity last night, or this or yesterday, right? And so if you read through those scriptures, you saw each, each day something about identity that showed you your purpose too. Amen. Uh, I'm not going to look up, but I want to encourage y'all to read all those scriptures that we put out there. Amen. When you, this, this is a, it's a system. Okay, it's all, it all works together. And if you skip over components, you're not getting the fullness of what you need to get out of this campaign. Okay? All right. Now, I want to put up a scripture, please. Media, I didn't give this to you, but let's add this scripture. Proverbs 10 and 12. Proverbs 10 and 12. Because remember when we talked about margin? I talked about giving each other room for error. That people are going to make mistakes. Okay, you're going to make a mistake. So we should give people the same room that we need. Okay? None of us is without fault, without error. None of us is, is without sin. None of us is perfect. None of us does everything right concerning our spouse or our children, our parents, our siblings. So we need margin. But when that happens, the other person, or if it's you in this case, you need to have something called love because love's going to do something when that person makes a mistake. In Proverbs 10 verse 12, it says this, hatred stirs up strife. In other words, if you're the kind of person that keeps something going, you ain't gonna let it go yet. He's just gonna, we're just gonna keep this going. Are we gonna argue all day long? I mean, we're gonna carry this over until tomorrow. I mean, we've been talking the same thing for the last week. Hatred, the Bible says, stirs up strife, contention. But watch what love does. Love covers what? Now, this is not just. Don't limit this to God's love covering our sins. Because this verse isn't about God. Come on now, help me out. This verse isn't about God. Tell your neighbor, it's about you. When you have hatred in your heart, you will stir up strife. But when you love someone, 
you will cover their sins. Love doesn't run and tell them what somebody did. I, I, I tell couples this all the time when I'm going through premarital counseling with couples. Listen, when you and your boo get into a little snafu, don't run and tell your mama them. I don't say mama them, but you understand I'm more formal. For y'all, I'm saying, don't run and tell mama and sister and cousin them what your husband did, what your wife did, all that stuff. Because what happens is, y'all break up and make up. But they don't get to make up. So you go around them come next Thanksgiving, and they're looking at you cross-eyed, looking at you funny, and you wonder why they looking at me funny. Well, you don't know because your wife or your husband went and told them everything you did instead of covering your sins. Thank you. I got one. Thank you. Two, three. Okay, good. I got I'm just trying to tell you how this works. Even among siblings, even among fam all family, even among friends, you're supposed to cover each other. Somebody does, this sin is against you. This sin is against you. When somebody does you wrong, you don't run and tell everybody, oh, look what they did. They, somebody did something. No, love covers. Let, let me give you this. Give me the uh, contemporary English version, CEV. Look, look at the same verse. I, I want, this is very important. This wasn't in my notes, I just, but the Lord added this to me because this is, this is so important for us to get this here. Hatred stirs up trouble. But watch this. Love, say it, overlooks the wrongs that others do. Uh-oh. Love overlooks. Now, I didn't say love sees, uh, doesn't see it. It sees it, but overlooks it. Don't tell me you love me, but you're going to point out everything I do. No, that's not love. Love overlooks the wrongs that others do. Not looking over, overlook. Mm, Y'all got it, uh-huh. See, when you're a strife-filled, strife contentious person, you're going to keep looking over. Look, look what they... But when you love, I'm going to overlook. In other words, I see it, but I don't. I, I see it, but I'm not going to let it get to me. I'm not going to let that come between us. You know why? Because I love you. Could you imagine what, what, what churches would be like if we had that in church? I lead the church because I got church hurt. No, you hate. Because if you loved people, you will overlook the wrongs that people in church do to you. Yeah, you overlook the wrongs that people in the job do. See? 
the world will treat you like a dirty dog. See, and so, okay, give me one more translation. Let me, let me keep going. That's not in my notes. Give me the uh, good news translation, please. The good news. I, I, hopefully, hopefully we have that one. Please tell me we have that translation. Awesome. Hate stirs up trouble, but here it is. Love forgives all. So we're going more than just overlooking. Now we're forgiving. Forgiving now wipes the slate clean and acts as if it never happened. Ooh, now that, 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 that's where you say like the disciples, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> that, that's, that's Luke 17, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith because you mean, okay, act like it didn't happen, but I feel it. I still feel it. I, st I still think about it. And that's, that's right, Pastor Kim. You keep acting like it until it doesn't exist anymore. That's what you have to do. That's how you overlook. That's how you forgive. Amen. People say, you know, the Bible says forgive and forget. The Bible does not say forgive and forget. There's no way in the Bible where it says forgive and forget. You may never, ever forget what happened. But you can forgive it, and you can act and live as if. You got it? That's how love operates. That's our focus area today is love. By the time we get done, I want you to be so set in your mind, so set in your heart, that from this day forward, I don't care what. Come on now, come with me here now. I don't care what she does. I don't care what he does. I don't care what they say. Come on now, come on now. I'm going to love you. Ain't nothing you can do about it. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to love you. Nothing you can do about it. You can't treat me wrong enough to make me stop loving you. You know why? I have a command to love you. I'm commanded to love you. I'm commanded to love you. Love is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God, thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength, and love your neighbor even as yourself. That's the two greatest commandments, and upon all these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's the greatest command. You burnt my new shirt? You spent what? I love you. Colossians 3, please. Colossians 3, verse 12 through 14. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Everything. What was that, Tina Turner? What's love got to do, got to do with it? She called it a secondhand emotion for the world. Love is not an emotion. 
Love is a commanded decision. It's an action. For God so loved the world. If God's emotion was involved, we'd be dead now. I get so emotional, baby. Every time. No, no, no. I understand what you're saying. But when the heat of the moment comes, you can't let your emotions rise up. Because emotions will, will take you all around the corner. See? So you got to get past the secondhand emotion to a devotion. Write that down in your notes. Love is not an emotion. Love is a devotion. I, that's, I don't have that. You got to write it down. Love is not an emotion. It's a devotion. It's a devotion. I heard one lady said it years ago. Love should have brought you home last night. <laughs> Some of y'all remember that. I, I still, I'm, I'm still being purged, y'all. I'm still being purged. God, God still purging me. I still have some old movies and old lines in my head. In my, I got to get them out of me. <laughs> See, because love is not an emotion, it's a devotion. And the reason I come home is because I'm devoted to you. The reason I still treat you right is because I'm devoted to you. God was devoted to us. God told the children of Israel, I think it's in the seventh chapter of Deuteronomy. God says, I didn't call you and bless you because you were, you did it right. He says, you at least among the people, y'all had all kinds of problems. He said, but because I will keep my covenant that I made to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, God was so devoted to them. Emotionally, God was done, but he was devoted to them. I got to keep my covenant. I got to keep my covenant. I got to keep my covenant. When two people stand in front of this altar, you're not making a covenant with a pastor or each other. You're making a covenant with Almighty God. So it ain't about how I feel. It's about a commitment, a covenant that I made with Almighty God. A choice I made. Willingly. One of those shotgun weddings, right? You laid down and got pregnant and had that child. That child didn't ask to be here. You committed yourself to that child. So no matter how you feel about that child, how much that child might tick you, knock your head off. I'm gonna knock your head off. I'm gonna pick it back up and put it back on you. Now come on. Why? Because it's not an emotion. It's a devotion. How many of y'all felt like knocking your child's head right off? Don't do it. Don't do it, Miss Cedar. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't, don't knock the head off. Just knock it cockside like that. All right, Colossians 3, verse, verse uh, look at Colossians 3. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, verse 12, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, those are all big things to put on, right? That means that's, that's how you now adorn yourself. And it's not just adorn like clothes. This is now what you take on. That word put on really should be take on, okay? 
humility, kindness, long-suffering. Verse 13, bearing with one another, that means putting up with each other. Put up with some, with each other. You got to put up with some stuff. Everybody got a glamorous picture of marriage and family. Glamorous picture. Oh, when I marry my Prince Charming, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be all we're going to live happily ever after. <laughs> it might be happy after. But not ever. It's going to be some days. You have children. We got people now, they just have children. They, they, they don't, they don't need to be married. I just, I just want to have a child because I want some, something to love and something to love me because it's going to be so great because I can go buy them a little polo outfit and I can go buy them a little Nike outfit and I can dress them up and get a little haircut and do the little hair and then do the little girl hair and I got me a little child as if that child ain't never going to try to bust your heart. As if that child not going to be born a liar. I got news for you. Your children are born liars. They're born mischievous. As the Bible says, foolishness abounds in the heart of a child. <laughs> you still put the little cute little bow on you. Pop. So you have to put up with some stuff. And forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. Notice it say forgiving others. Just forgiving one another, which means I got to give it and receive it. I got to give it and receive it. I got to keep going here. If anyone has a complaint against another, have anybody ever had a complaint against somebody? No, no, just all compliments, Pastor, just all compliments. If anyone has a compliment against another, no. Now, that's a compliment that says a complaint. What you complaining for? Because you keep doing it again. You did it again. So watch what he says when you have a complaint. Watch what he says the response to the complaint is. Forgive. What he's saying is stop complaining and start forgiving. Because if anybody has a right to complain, it's Christ. Help me, church. If anybody has a right and a reason, not just a right, but a reason to complain, he can look right at me and complain all day. But he forgave me. So it tells me i got to forgive other people. Verse 14. Verse 14. But above all these things, so now we're going to the top. Put on love, which is the what? So write this down. Love is the master key to a successful family. Love is the master key to a successful family. To have a family without love is to have a house without a roof. You know, we've been building a house for the last few weeks. That's what we've been doing. Foundation of faith, putting walls up, alignment, get everything right, everything in order. Margin, we got our budget, we got every, everything got space to it. We've identified how our house is supposed to be. But now you need a roof. Because if you don't have a roof, 
you're vulnerable. When the storms come, there's a little rain to ruin everything. So you, can you imagine going out and buy all this brand new Ethan Allen furniture? Our house furniture? You're going to buy all this exquisite furniture and put in Viking appliances in your house? Wolf. And you do all these things that are just exquisite and don't have enough sense to put a roof on the house? I got 16,000 thread count sheets with no roof? My point to you is, if you do all this furnishing, oh man, that's people do with, with getting married. People go have this elaborate weddings and the thing don't last six months. Why? They didn't love each other. Yes, they did. No, they, they, they were in love or they lusted after each other. Love and lust are different things. Lust will not keep you because lust is a force. Because if love, lust is what got you there, lust don't turn off just because you go to work. But love will bring you home. See? So, so love is the master key to a successful family. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Let me, let me keep going here. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. It says, now about it's abides faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So love is greater than hope. Love is greater than faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Y'all know that, right? But faith works by love. So the, what's greater than faith and hope is love. If you don't have love, your faith don't, will not work. If you don't have faith, your, your hope will have no substance. You understand that? If you don't have love, your faith will not work. If you don't have faith, you have no substance for your hope. So the greatest of these is love. It's the master key. Now, I want to show you something here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, boy, we're going to, let's speed up a little bit, okay? 1 Corinthians 7. Nobody say take your time. First Corinthians 7. <laughs> take your time, man of God. Nope, 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 nope. Just go. Go right ahead, Pastor. <laughs> well, I was thinking it. First Corinthians uh, 7. Verse, I, I want you to see something here. It's very, very. Because we're making a point that love is the most important thing. Love is the, is the key to, to a successful family. Now watch this. this. This might rock somebody's world here. Verse 12. But to the rest I, now the subject heading in my Bible here is keep your marriage vows. So Paul gives instructions to the husbands, to the wives, so forth. Look at verse 12. But to the rest I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, and this is not you go marry a wife who doesn't believe. This is both of y'all were sinning, maybe shacking or whatever, and you 
now you're married and one of you gets born again. Has that ever happened to anybody? Both sinners, but somebody got born again. Okay. He says, and she is willing to live with him. Let him what? Not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. Watch. For the unbelieving husband, come on. And the unbelieving wife is what? Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So notice, in this scenario, we have a saved spouse and an unsaved spouse. And Paul's admonishment is, stay together. Work it out. You can, you can, you can still work it out. You getting saved is not an excuse for leaving. Or putting them out. Well, because now we unequally yoked. No, 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 no. You got yoked up and both of y'all were sinners, so stop playing. So notice that there, these two people are not of the same faith. They're not aligned together with God. And they're, they're, they don't have the same identity. But it said they're willing. She is willing. Or he is willing. So that meant that in that scenario, that even though one saved and the other was not saved, and that means that there's going to be some misunderstanding. Anytime you have a saved and unsaved person, there's going to be some misunderstanding. You can count on it. But obviously there's something else, another force that's working there that says, but I don't want to leave you. What is it? Love. That's the only thing that makes you willing when, when you're on the opposite page of everything else. Did y'all catch that? So that means that love is more important than your alignment, than your faith, than your margin. Come on now. How many of y'all, your couples or families, and you, you don't have no margin, but you love each other? I'm going to come over here. You have no margin. We're going to sweat this thing out together. My wife and I can t testify about that. How we have any margin, not, not, not just no, no margin, we, we, we weren't even up to the line. But we're going to work this thing out together. We're going we gonna to sit together because we love each other and we love God. We're going to trust God. And because we love each other and we love God and God loves us, we're going to work this thing out here. So margin isn't the biggest thing. People think if we get more money, we'll be happy as a couple, as a family. If your money could fix it, man, I'm sure they'll just pass out money to everybody. But money doesn't fix your problems. Money won't keep you together. How do I know? Let's call Bill and Melinda Gates. Let's ask them. More money than the bear got guts. They're not together today. Y'all follow what I'm saying to you? So money doesn't do it. Margin necessarily doesn't do it. 
You got to have this thing here called love. Why? Because it says love, Colossians 3.14, is the bond of perfection. Love is the bond of perfection. That word bond from the Hebrew is the, is rather the Greek, I'm sorry, is the Greek word sundesmos, sundesmos, sundesmos. S-Y-N-D-E-S-M-O-S, sundesmos. Means that which binds together. It's a band or a bond. It's, notice this, of ligaments by which members of the human body are united together. Your body's together right now. Your body is joined by all kind of ligaments. What happens, you boy, you injure or damage a ligament, boy. You ain't. That which is bound together. So love is the ligament or the system, rather, of ligaments that holds your family together. You stretch. You move. You recover. You run. You walk. You exercise. Your ligaments must be right. Flexible. Your, that means love gives you the, I thought you borrowed that word, flexibility. That even if something happens, even if someone says something crosswise, the family doesn't fall apart. The marriage doesn't just fall apart. We can hold this thing together. Love is the bond of perfection. Then this word perfection is the Greek word teleates. Teleates. <laughs> it means perfection. It's the state, watch, listen to this, listen to this, watch this. The state of the more intelligent. Moral and spiritual perfection. The state of the more intelligent. So love, as you mature in love, it, it increases your intelligence. It allows you to know more, to know, know more particularly of each other. How many of y'all know that the longer you're together, the, the more you learn about each other? And you can't make some rushed judgment at the first thing that, wrong, that goes wrong, the moment somebody says something wrong, you rush the judgment, oh, that they're done. No, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's why the Bible tells you to know those who labor among you and esteem them very highly for their, for their work's sake. Know them. That means you're supposed to know your pastor. Know your leaders. Why? Because your pastor and your leaders are human beings. And it is probably very likely that we're going to say or do something that's going to probably tick you off intentionally. No, I shouldn't say that. Unintentionally, that's what I meant to say. I'm not trying to intentionally. What I was trying to say is unknowingly and unintentionally. I didn't mean to say intentionally. Unknowingly and unintentionally. You got it? But if you make a judgment based on one act, one word, one action, you make, a, you make a universal judgment, sweeping judgment, you'll cut yourself off and get into what the Bible calls the Greek word scandalizo, where you fail to trust those who you should trust. 
watch this, watch this. God, God told Joshua, I think it's in the book of Joshua chapter uh, 3, I, be, I believe it is, where God said, Joshua, today I'm going to magnify you in the sight of the people. Today I will magnify you. They're getting ready to go over the Jordan River. And he says, today I'm going to magnify you in the sight of the people. Magnify. You know what happens when you magnify something? You make it bigger. You know what happens when, when, you, when it's bigger? You can see all the flaws. The closer you get to somebody, the more you see flaws. I don't want to get close to pastors. I don't, I don't, I don't. No, no. It allows you to see the, see the human flaws. But you have to allow, you have to now become more intelligent, more mature, that you can handle it because I got news for you. Look in the mirror, chick. Look in the mirror, bro. You have flaws too. You, you follow what I'm saying? So, love is a bond of more intelligence. You know your Bible says, husbands, listen to me, husbands. The Bible says, husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. I'll come over here. The husband's on this side quite. Dwell with your wives with understanding. What does it mean? I need some understanding. I need to, I need to, un to do that, I must study you. I'm not studying your little curves. I got to study you. Curves to get you in trouble. You need to study to study her. That means become more intelligent. Be more intelligent. And it go then go without saying, wives study your husbands. Parents study your children. Children study your parents. Siblings study each other. Become more intelligent about them. Thank you, Lord. So that if somebody does something that I don't like because I know their nature, I know that there was something going on. But if you're unintelligent about that person, you'll, you'll make that a blanket idea about them and just cast them off. I, I can't deal with them no more. I can't deal with them no more. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if everybody cut you off at the first little thing you said or did? You wouldn't have no friends, no followers, no fans, no nothing on your little Instagram in your life. Nobody answer your call. Amen. So be more intelligent. Love makes you more intelligent. Love makes you more spiritually and morally mature. Let's look at that Colossians 3.14, please, in the, um, ooh, 20 minutes. Colossians 3.14 in the CEV. <laughs> 3.14 CEV. I want you to read it with me, so make sure it's on the screen for me immediately. I want, want everybody to read it together. Got it? Ready? Read. Love is more important than anything else. It is what ties everything. It's more important than anything else. 
That's why Jesus, when they asked Jesus what the greatest commandments were, he didn't mention thou shalt not kill. He didn't mention thou shalt not commit adultery. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. And on these two commandments hang all the law. You could take the Ten Commandments and all the 660, 600 and something odd laws that are in the book and summarize it in the two commandments. Love. Love God, love your neighbors. Love God, love your neighbors. Because love is more important than anything else. It's what ties everything completely together. You got it? Now, love comes from God. Love comes from God. And God is love. Who does love come from now? First John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. First John 4, verse 7 and 8 in the Living Bible, please. First John 4, 7 and 8 in the Living Bible. Why don't you listen to what it says? It says, dear friends. Hallelujah. I'm hearing myself back. Once have I spoken, twice have I heard it. Wow. I gotta fix that because I can't preach like that. Dear friends, let us practice loving each other. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. This has been established for y'all today. Dear friends, let us practice loving each other, for love comes from God, and those who are loving God. You know, we gotta, how do we fix that? Cut the recording off or something. I don't care. I'm rich. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, well, you can. That's how you meditate. Let it come back at you. All right, let's try it again. 1 John 4, verse 7 and 8, Living Bible. Dear friends, let us practice loving each other, for love comes from God, and those who are loving and kind show that they are the children of God and that they are getting to know him better. But if a person isn't loving and kind... It shows that he doesn't know God. Why? For God is love. So God is love. God, uh, love comes from God. God is love. Love comes from God. God is love. Now, God, he, um, imagine God who's an eternal being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Eternal being, and he's existing in eternity. And he has this beautiful world and nobody to pour that love out on. Remember, he is love. So he has to, out of himself, create a man. Why? So I can pour this love out on somebody. Boom. So Adam is the recipient of all God's love. So now, here's Adam. Walk around this planet, we don't know for how long. And he's got all these birds and animals and fish and all this kind of stuff. And he sees them, he's naming them, but he doesn't have anybody to pour his love out on. God said, that's not good for man to be all one, alone. 
Because when he's alone or all one, he has no one to pour his love out on. And he's made in my image and my likeness, which means he's a ball of love. So I got to make him a woman to bring to him. And when God made Eve and brought Eve to Adam, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. In other words, he's like, girl, I love you. He loved her instantly. Remember when Jacob met Rachel and, and, and kissed her? He cried. That man was so in love, it was crazy. Oh, man. Then they had children for them to pour love out on. Y'all got this here. Now, what this means is, watch this. This is Write, write this down in your notes. Because we are God's offspring, we are born with natural affection. Because we are God's offspring, we are born with natural affection. Natural affection. That means affection or love is supposed to come naturally to us. Supposed to. Supposed to. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Go back to verse 1. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Imitate your father and walk in love. Love is natural to God. So if we're his children, love is supposed to be natural to us. But there's a reason why, why Paul is telling them to walk in love. Because what was supposed to be natural has now become unnatural to them. This is the day that we live in right now. Where what should be natural, what is natural affection is not natural anymore. Notice in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. In the King James Version, 2 Timothy 3, verse 2 and 3 is where Paul starts talking about in perilous, you know, last days perilous times will come. He says this, that people will be without natural affection. That's, that's the beginning of verse 3. Without natural affection. In your new King James, he uses another word unloving. For that phrase, for that three-word phrase without natural affection, in your new King James, it uses one word, unloving. That's what it means to be without natural affection, unloving. What does it mean to be unloving? Without natural affection. That means that love is supposed to be just natural to us. It's natural. It should be natural for a parent to instantly love their child. Instantly. It should be natural for a child to instantly love his or her parent. Instantly. We watch it in nature. Dogs do it. Cows do it. Manatees do it. They instantly love what came out of them and where they came from. Animals understand this love. I mean, people buy dogs because dogs find some way to express their love for their owners, masters, or whoever adopted them or whatever you might call it. But watch this verse here, Matthew 24, verse 12. You can go back to New King James Version, Matthew 24, verse 12. Let me flow here in our last few minutes. Watch what Jesus said, and tell me if this doesn't sound like today. And because lawlessness 
will abound. The love of many will grow cold. Because lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. So what he's saying is in these times we're living, the same thing Paul just talked about, in the last days, his perilous times, people will be without natural affection or unloving. I was, I was so disturbed in this last week to hear, I mean, you look at the news and see things enough, there's enough stories that make you just, what? But to hear of, in Philadelphia this week, a, a girl, a woman, rather was sexual assault or raped is what they called it, on a train with people watching. Not an empty train. A full train of people. And they video record it, but people are trying to say, well, maybe they were video recording trying to get the guy to say, hey, we're watching you. You mean to tell me, that, bruh, there's nothing, y'all couldn't have gotten together? To watch a violent, horrific act in a public place, no less. Years ago, these boys, they, they, they took a boy and they threw him in the water and they drowned him. And they all videotaped. They watched it. He's, he drowned. He died. Not one of them had enough in them to say, you know what? Remember when, when Joseph's brothers were going to kill him? They were going to kill him because they hated him so much. And his brother Reuben said, hey, wait, 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 wait. I know we don't like him. I know we're jealous of him. I know he's dad's pet. I know that. He said, but wait, we, we can't kill him. Something inside you, this natural affection ought to kick in and say, wait, 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 we can't do that. But Jesus Christ said that because lawlessness will abound, the, 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 the Jewish Bible says this, that because we leave the Ten Commandments, the love of many grows cold. So we see a nation, this United States of America, built on the Bible. And we've left our first love so much which is the things of God, that now anything goes and people just, people rather video record something and put it on their, on their feed trying to get likes and trying to go viral. Without natural affection. Colossians 3.19, this is why in this day, watch what Colossians 3.19 says. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. You mean the Bible got to tell a man to love his wife? <laughs> who, who in that time, you had to pay a dowry for? You had to put some money down. And I, I, tell, I tell ladies, and listen, that, that brother, he ought to be so, so adamant about having you, he'd be like that man who found a treasure in the field. Remember Matthew 13, a man found a treasure in the field, and the Bible says he went and sold everything he had to buy the whole field? Because he knew what he had. 
If a brother ain't willing to sell everything to have you, you think he gonna treat you right and take good care of you your whole life? No, sis. But I don't want to be by myself. You're going to be by yourself. He might be with you, but you're still by yourself. Well, I got knees. That ain't no need. Oh, y'all didn't say anything. I got knees. That ain't no need. Jesus said, the Father knows everything you have need of. Oh, I'm going to lean over here, y'all clap it. I'm going to lean over here. I need that on, on, the, on the microphone. What you eat, what you drink, how you going to be clothed. My Father knows you have, you have need of that. Sex is not a need. Not a need. That's a side note. So husbands love your wives. It's supposed to be natural, but husbands love your wives. Look at Colossians, no, Titus 2:4. Titus 2:4. I'm talking about this is the day we live in. It was supposed to be natural. Notice what Titus, what Paul tells Titus. He said, you got to have these older women, verse 3 talks about the older women. He says, have them that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Wait a minute, admonish them, which means to urge and exhort them. You got to urge women to love their children? To love their husbands? You got to urge them to love them? That means that ain't natural? He's telling them something that should be so natural, you're not going to tell them and encourage them, hey, baby, love your kids. I mean, what in the Jiminy Cricket is going on when you got to tell somebody, you, you don't have to tell a, tell a dog to love her, her puppies. I remember one time, boy, this is in our last house we were in, and boy, my wife was out there praying one day. We were in, praying in the living room. This is Sunday morning. We were praying in the living room. Praising God. God is going to be a great day in the Lord. And we hear all of a sudden, she just, Hallelujah, praise God. Boom. What the heck is that? So I get up and I go to the back of the house. It's a shotgun house. You just go straight to that. Go to the back of the house and we had a broken window on the back that I never fixed. <laughs> never fixed because I wasn't right up here. <laughs> and I, I'm just telling you. And never fixed the window. And what happened to these little baby squirrels? The mom had built a nest inside the wood that I put up on the window. I had wood pieces front and back. She built a nest in there, and the babies had gotten from there into our house. So all of a sudden, I got baby squirrels running all over the back room of my house. Baby squirrels. I should have fixed the window, but I hadn't fixed the window. And my soul not prospering. And so I go and I get, we got one of those little, you know the little garbage grabbers, you squeeze the thing, you pick up garbage. You know what I'm talking about? The little, squeeze. So I run and I get the little grabber thing and I, I'm chasing the little squirrels around in the house. Oh Lord. And I get one. Boom. And I, I forgot what I did with the squirrel. I didn't kill it, of course. I just 
Put my, I just threw him through the window, something outside. Boom, get up. Boom, 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 boom. Kidding him. I'm, 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 I'm feeling like a hero now because I'm saving my family from the squirrels, the baby little baby squirrels. Them little baby squirrels will get on you. They'll get on you. I'm like, I got, I got them. All of a sudden, I can, and I'm like, what is that? That's the mama. She looking at me. Whoa, mama. And she was not, she was like trying to get in there. She was like looking at me. I'm looking at her. She's like, oh, man. I got, I got, I, here, I'm going to get you all your babies here. Take you all your babies. Because if not, she was coming for me. If a squirrel has enough sense, enough love for its little baby, and we have now mamas who will drive their babies off a cliff, drive their babies into a river, mamas who will take their own babies because they got a new boyfriend. Y'all got quiet. Mama, because mama got a new boyfriend, and the new boyfriend don't like the baby. The new boyfriend, he want to play PlayStation all day long and the little baby crying, making noise and the mama's going off to work leaving their babies with these old silly, silly boys. You get a call, now that child dead because some silly PlayStation playing boy. You got to now tell them to love their husbands, love their children. Why? Because love is more important than anything else. All right, let's round this out here. It's in our nature to love and be loved. It's in our nature to be loved, to love and be loved. Nobody wants to be in a place where there's no love. I said nobody wants to be in a place where there's no love, not even a dog. I said not even your dog. You treat your dog bad enough. Your dog will leave you. Loyal dog and everything, but your dog will walk out on you. Rufus, where you going? Rufus, going down the street. <laughs> going to get some milk. Rufus won't come back. Oh, I hate people always hating me, all kicking me. Proverbs 15, verse 16 and 17. I'm almost done here. Watch what it says here. Proverbs 15, verse 16 and 17 says this. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. But watch this next one, verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted gulf with hatred. It's better to have a dinner, a little salad, no dressing on it. Some 
better, better just to have some Brussels sprouts. Some kale and spinach. No sugar added. All y'all sugar adding everything, people. What love is then to have oxtails. Porterhouse. Chateaubriand. My wife and I, we went to this restaurant. It was a Burns. And uh, people was talking about uh, Chateaubriand. I'm like, well, I don't drink no wine. <laughs> but you bring no Chateaubriand around here. We holy and sanctify people. It costs you when you're ignorant, don't it? Chateaubriand. That sounds like wine to me. I didn't know that was a, that's a steak. About like one time, I went out, went out to, to eat with a, a pastor, a good pastor friend of mine, and uh, we ordered, ordered our drinks, and he ordered an Arnold Palmer. I said, whoa, 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 wait, wait. I said, hey, man, you know, I don't, I don't get down like that. <laughs> pastor, what are you talking about? Y'all know Pastor Joe Mitch? He's, he's, he said, what y'all might have said, man, you, you ordered an Arnold Palmer. You know, I, I didn't think you were down like that. You know, I'm, I'm, he, said, he said, Pastor. <laughs> John did. That's lemonade and tea, man. Lemonade and tea. Oh! How about like when I, Elder Baker, always, always order Shirley Temple? All right, Ray, I'm going to Shirley Temple. Oh, that's just Sprite with grenadine in it. Cherries in it. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I'm just checking y'all, but I'm checking y'all righteously. So it's better to have a dinner where it's just vegetables. Well, you, I mean, what are you talking about? It's just nothing. Versus the, all the spread, all the fixing. And hatred. In other words, my, my point is, you can't fix it with a night out. You can't fix it with a steak dinner. You can't fix it with a vacation. You got to get back to the root of the whole issue and get this hatred and strife and attention out of your marriage, out of your family. You can't fix it with a PlayStation. Let me just buy a new pair of shoes. You can't fix it with shoes. You got to get back to the, that's just a Band-Aid. You got to get back to the root of the issue. Get that infection out of that wound. Heal that wound, whatever's hurt you. Forgive and move on. Now we can have good fellowship. Proverbs 21, verse 9. Because nobody wants to be in a house where there's no love. Nobody wants to be in a house where there's always anger and animosity. Rough. Proverbs 21, verse 9. Y'all see this? Watch this. This for the husbands. You can, we, can, we can flip it around too for the men, for the wives. Better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. It's better to live on a, on a house in the corner of the housetop. I'd rather sleep on top of the house and let it rain on me. Let the birds poop all around me than to be in the house with an angry, with a contentious, strife-filled, nagging, always, 
never satisfied, never happy, never pleased woman. Now, I'm sure it applies vice versa too. Put up verse 19, same chapter. Verse 19, same chapter. Better to dwell in the wilderness. I, man, I, I tried on a housetop, I can still hear a voice. I still hold. That's, that ain't that ain't far enough. But I dwell in the wilderness. Let me go out here with the snakes and the bears. I got a better chance with a bear. Let me fight a lion, boy. Don't. Than with a contentious and angry woman. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Y'all, y'all got a little more time, right? Okay. Go to Genesis 29. Genesis 29, verse 30. I want to show you something because nobody wants to live, nobody should be living at a place where they're unloved. I'm going to show you because there are some repercussions that come when there's an unloving environment. Genesis 29. Now hold hold on just a few more minutes. Genesis 29. Now this is the story where Jacob, you know, I just mentioned earlier, he kissed Leah, I mean, he kissed Rachel, and he liked it. And and he, he liked it so much he cried, and he said, boy, I got to marry her. I got to have her. I got to marry her. And um, his dad, his, her dad, made him work seven years to get her. And then because he was a trickster, he tricked him. And instead of sending uh, Rachel to him, he sent Leah. He just didn't find out until the next morning. There was Leah. Laid up all night with Leah, thought it was Rachel, and I don't know how. I mean, but something should have been about her voice or something. She must, she must didn't say nothing all night. He's saying, Rachel, you're so beautiful. Because he didn't know till the next morning it was Leo. What kind of intimacy is that? <laughs> and <laughs> So he goes back to the father-in-law. Hey, you tricked me. He said, yeah, because you can't take the, the younger and not take the older. So you work seven more years. I go, I'm going to let you have Rachel. Uh, I'm going to let you have Rachel too. And he agreed. Uh, he loved her that much. He can work 14 years, okay? So then verse 30 says, then Jacob also went in to Rachel. Y'all there now? And he also loved Rachel more than Leah. Also loved Rachel more than Leah, okay? And he served with Laban still another seven years. Okay, verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, unloved, King James talked about hatred, she was hated, that's how the King James puts it, saw that Leah was hated, so this isn't just like, you know, he wasn't really feeling her, He, he couldn't stand Leah, he despised her, he's bitter against her. Now watch this, when the the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, what did he do? 
He opened her, room, her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now, don't get, get it thinking that God made Rachel barren. No, Rachel was barren. They were both already barren, but Rachel remained barren. And if you were to go over a few chapters, you'll find out why Rachel was barren. She was an idol worshiper. When Jacob left the house, she the one went and stole all the idol gods and hid them under her. Leah didn't do that. Leah didn't do that. Rachel was the one that served, loved those idols so much. She was serving other gods. Okay? Now, but when God saw she was unloved, Leah, he opened her womb. Verse 32. So Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name what? Reuben. Reuben. That word, the Reuben means see uh, a son. Okay? Notice what she said. For she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Watch what she says. Now therefore my husband will what? What is she after? Love. She just wants to be loved. So she had a son. She said, I gave him a son. Surely he's going to love me. Next one, 33. Then she conceived again. I guess Jacob didn't hate her all that much. <laughs> I'll put up with you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just don't look at me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am, I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. The name Simeon means heard. So she thought that God was helping her win Jacob's affection, right, by giving her a second son. Surely he's going to love me by now. Verse 34. She conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become what? Attached. Now she's not looking at love now. She's just saying attached. What happens? She's lowered her expectations. She's lowered her what she wants to just, I just want to be attached. You know, sometimes, you know, you, you somebody, they're they going to date a baller, NFL player, an NBA player. They just, y'all don't know nothing about that. The gold diggers. I'm going to get that child just because, you know, I can get that flow just now we're attached we don't have two kids together now we're attached okay y'all y'all don't know about that okay and she called his name uh levi you're gonna be attached because i got three sons from him we stuck together for life now don't y'all don't y'all forget jacob was rich he became a very rich man he got the blessing on him if he ain't going to love me, at least he's going to give me good support. Okay, let me keep going. Verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son, and watch with this, and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Judah. Then she stopped bearing. So what happened here? She stopped trying to win Jacob's heart and began to give God praise. Now, you know, Judah is the one from whose lineage Jesus comes is when she stopped trying to win Jacob's heart and began to praise God, now all of a sudden she created a lineage for Jesus Christ to come. Okay? Now, go to chapter 30, please. I'm going to show you something. Go to 30. Because when love is unapparent, this is your right hand, when love is unapparent, competition will ensue. When love is unapparent, competition will ensue. There's going to be some competition. When people don't have apparent love, 
Thank you, Lord. Because everyone's going to be competing for affection and attention. Look at Genesis 30, verse 1. Watch this. Watch this. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, uh, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. Now, she's seeing what a, what a sister got going on, and now she's saying, Jacob, better give me some kids or else I die. You better do something about this, Jacob. Look down at verse 8. Verse 8. Verse 8. Now, what happens in between verse 1 and verse 8, she takes her two uh, servant girls and gives her servant girls to Jacob and says, have children with them. Those will be my kids. Why? She's competing. Now watch her response in verse 8 after these, their girls have these kids. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. This isn't about Jacob at all. She competing with her sister. This is right, that's right, man. People, this is what we see every day. People compete with each other for somebody's affection, somebody's attention. Because the love is not apparent to them. She said, I've, I've uh, wrestled with my sister and I indeed have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali, which means to prevail. Wow. Wow. Are y'all seeing this here? Verse 14. Verse, no, verse 9. Verse 9. Verse 9. Now watch this. Here, here comes a clap back. When Leah saw, when Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. Now what's she doing? I'm going to get back. Can you see the competition in the house? He don't care. So he got Rachel, he got Leah, he got Bilhah, he got Zilpah, he got Bonquisha, he got Nene, he got all, he got, come on, bring it on, baby, who y'all want? Y'all compete, y'all compete. Jacob just enjoying the whole thing. That's what's going on in the streets. These boys, they just enjoying the whole thing. You want a baby, I'll give you a baby. You want a baby, I'll give you a baby. I just, just enjoying the whole thing. Verse 14, verse 14, watch this. Now, Reuben went in the days of, of the wheat harvest, hurry up, Pastor, and found mandrakes in the field. Mandrakes is another word for um, aphrodisiacs. Y'all know what an aphrodisiac is? Something to get you going. It just get you going. They didn't have any blue pill back in that day. And brought them to his mother, Leah. So Reuben brought them to Leah, his mama. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Give me some of them things. Give me some of them things. But she, said to her, but she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Now you want my son's mandrakes too? Watch this. It, it, it gets gooder. It gets gooder. And Rachel said, therefore he will, watch Rachel, she's going to make a deal. Therefore he, mean, meaning Jacob, will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. You give me the mandrakes, and I'll let you be with my man. What's going on in here? Now watch, 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 keep going. Watch, watch this. It gets good, because it, it, it says it in space here. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, watch this, watch what Leah said. You must come in to me, for I hired you, bro. 
Jacob the Jiggle oh, I hired you tonight. You are my. <laughs> I paid for you tonight. This is what she's saying. Don't tell me the Bible ain't interested in funny. And these are real stories. And he said, well, you got me. And he, he, he lay with her that night. Now, you're laughing. But I want you to see what happens in families. Moms, sometimes we feel unloved, compete with their own children for that husband slash dad's affection. I've watched that happen. When a, when a mom has a baby, and all of a sudden now dad is all doting over the little baby, oh, the little baby, even especially little girls, the little, oh, the little, little baby, all of a sudden moms, this little jealousy gets, you know what I'm Now you'll start competing with your own child for attention. Because that was my husband before he was your daddy. Have we ever seen children competing for their parents' affection? Yes. Competing for their parents' attention. Spouses competing for their children's attention. See? What's that? It's because love isn't apparent. It's not apparent. In other words, they don't sense it enough. Because everybody wants to be loved. But to be loved, you have to give love. All right. Thank you, Lord. When people mature in love, they no longer compete for affection or attention. When people mature in love, they no longer compete for affection or attention. Remember in Colossians 3.14, we're saying mature to hear. Love is the bond of perfection. All right, now let's close out here. Here's your last fill-in. Love should be articulated, but it must also be demonstrated. To just merely say you love is not enough. Your actions must show that you love, because actions do speak louder than words. When your actions show it, even if you don't say it enough. In fact, for me, you don't have to say it all the time. Show me. Just show me. Let, let the way you treat me show me. Let the way you talk to me tell me that you love me. Let, let the things you do for me or the things you, that you refuse to do against me show me that you love me. Because to tell me, you know, that's, that's nice. But sometimes people tell it all day long, every day, oh, I love you, 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 love you. All right, bye-bye, love you. How you doing, love you? It's just habit, love you. Another rule, if you do that, great, but make sure that love you is backed up with some action. Because God didn't just say he loved us. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave, come on, his only begotten son. Yeah. 
All right. Let's close out reading this last part, this last thing here. 1 Corinthians 13, the living Bible. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is very patient. We're seeing how love is demonstrated. It's very patient and kind. What else? Never jealous. Now, hey, 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 let's do this. As we're walking through this, do your own personal individual assessment. Don't assess your spouse. Don't assess your child. Don't assess your sibling. Don't assess your cousin them. Just do your own personal assessment. So love is very patient and kind. Never jealous or envious. Never boastful or proud. Keep going. Never haughty or selfish or rude. We're assessing. Come on. Love does not demand its own way. It is not irritable or touchy. Everybody understand what all that means, right? It does not, it does not, it does not, it does not, it does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it. Come on, test yourself now. I hardly even notice when people do me wrong, especially in my family. I, I, you did what? I, I, don't, I don't even notice you hit me. I, I, mean, I hardly even notice. You said what? You apologized. Oh, you, I hardly even noticed you said that. I, I, now, inside you, you like, yeah, but you, you practice in love. I hardly even notice when others do me wrong. Verse 6, verse 6. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Keep going. If you love someone, how many of y'all love someone? If you love someone, you will be loyal to him no matter what the cost. Well, that's big. You will always believe in him. Always expect the best of him. And what else? Always stand your ground in defending him. That's, what, that's how love is demonstrated. This ain't just talk. A lot of people talk good game. But when the rubber meets the road, this is what love looks like. Last verse, verse 11, verse 11. It's like this. When I was a child, what happened? I spoke and thought and reasoned. Remember, this whole chapter is about love. So when you're a child, you don't act like the way he just told us how love acts. Love, children are very selfish. Come on now. When a child... Once, once what they, they want, they don't care that you're tired and you worked all day and you whatever. They don't care if you, it's your birthday, mama, it's your birthday, you ain't got to cook today. They don't care about that. They don't care much about what you want for Christmas. Nah, don't. That's not true. See, but when I became a man, 
In other words, when I became more intelligent, I grew up into perfection. Remember, love is the bond of perfection. I, sorry, when I became a man, my thoughts grew far beyond those of my childhood. And now, I put away all that sulking, all that smacking my teeth, all that bickering, all that insulting. You call me, I'm going to call your name. You say something to me, I'm going to say something to you. You spend a thousand, I'm going to spend a thousand. That's what children do. No. Now I put away the childish things. And when you come to this point, now you have grown up in love, and now you got a roof on that, on that piece. You got a roof on that piece. Now you got a complete house. Now you have something that when the storms of life come, come on, when the storms of life hit, what keeps you together? It's your love. It's your love. Because it's not going to always be sweet. I like to tell the newlyweds that. I tell the newlyweds, you can, you can date and hang out. You can shack and all that kind of stuff. The devil ain't going to bother you. The moment you say, I do, here he comes. Here he comes. Because he hates marriage. He hates families. But if you have love, if you have love, the Bible says God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if he did all that while we were yet sinners, how much more now does he demonstrate his love toward us? We don't get it right all the time now, but God doesn't just throw us away. Love keeps us together. Amen? What's love got to do with it? Everything. Everything. Get on your feet. Let's, let's praise the Lord right now. Come on. <laughs>